Amen. All right, well, we're there in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, and on Wednesday nights, we are making our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, just going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book, and just learning what the Word of God has for us. And uh, tonight, we find ourselves in chapter 11. Now, tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to go through the first 16 verses of this chapter, and uh, we're not going to cover the latter end of the chapter dealing with the communion or the Lord's Supper, because if you remember last last week, not last week, but the week before that, uh, when we were in chapter 10, because 10, chapter 10 covers communion a little bit, we actually dealt with the communion in 1 Corinthians 10, and then we jumped ahead and dealt with it in 1 Corinthians 11. So we've already dealt with that whole thing. If you missed that, you can go back and listen to that sermon if that's something you're interested in. So we're going to go up to verse 16 tonight, and then next time we're together in 1 Corinthians, we'll be in chapter 12. Now there's a theme in the first 16 verses of this chapter, and it's about males and females, and it's about differentiating between males and females. And I want you to notice that as we go through this, the first Thing, if you want to write down some notes and verses one through three is we see a difference in authority. We see a difference in authority. Look, look down at verse number one, first Corinthians 11 and verse number one. The Bible says, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Look at verse three. But I would have you to know And he goes through and begins to give us an authority structure in three different areas. He says, I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. Now, when he's referring to the head of every man is Christ, he is referring to the the church structure. And we know that Christ should have the preeminence in all things. But specifically, the Bible tells us that Christ is the head of the church. And we see here the head of every man is Christ referring to the church, and you might say, well, why would he say the head of every man is Christ and have that in reference to the church? Well, then he says this, and the head of the woman is the man. Now, that's referring to the home structure, but even in church, the Bible teaches that women are to submit, uh, to not usurp the authority of a man, that they are to learn in silence, is what the Bible says, and that within the family structure and within the church structure, God has ordained that men lead, that males lead. So, so it is you know, men who are to lead within the church, and it is men who are to lead within the home. And we're going to dig into this deeper here in a minute. But with that said, it's not just men doing whatever they want. You know, it's not like, oh, okay, well, men run the church, then men do what they want, or men run the home, so men do what they want. No, men are under the authority of their head, which is Christ. So, you know, as a pastor, I don't just make decisions and do what I want. I have to submit myself to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is, you say, how do you submit yourself to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ? By submitting myself to the Word of God, because He is the Word. And, and in the home, it's the same way. Men don't just get to run their homes however they want. They must submit themselves to the authority of Christ. The head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man. So we see the church structure, and we see the home structure. And then he says this, and the head of Christ is God. And we see here the Godhead. Even the Godhead itself has an authority structure where Christ is under the submission of God. And of course, God there is referring to God the Father. There is an order of authority between males and Christ within the church. And there's an order of authority between males and females within the home. And there's an order of authority between Christ the Son and God the Father within uh, the Godhead. Now, now, what you need to understand, and, and we're going to go back to verse number one here in a second, but what you need to understand is that this, this idea of authority is taught throughout Scripture. Uh, you're there in 1 Corinthians 11. Keep your place there. That's our text for tonight, of course. But go to Ephesians chapter number 22. You're there in 1 Corinthians. You're going to go past 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 22. And what, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 5. There's no 20. There's no... 22 chapters in Ephesians. If your Bible has 22 chapters in Ephesians, you've got a problem. But uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Ephesians 5, 22. When you get to Ephesians, put a ribbon or a bookmark 
or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it, all right? We're going to leave Ephesians, we're going to come back to it. So I want you to be able to get to it quickly. Ephesians 5, but I want you to see this authority structure throughout the Word of God. Ephesians 5.22 says this, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. That's what we're, we just read in 1 Corinthians 11, that you know, the head of every man is Christ. Here we're told the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as this church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands. I want you to notice these words, in everything, in everything. And the first thing you need to understand, and I get a lot of questions about this, you know, uh, about submission and about how far do you carry that and how far does that go and what the Bible teaches about those things. And I want you to understand that the Bible is teaching here, and you, you have your place there in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. Keep your place right there, uh, but go, go back to uh, 1 Corinthians 11. I'm sorry, you're in Ephesians 5. Go back to 1 Corinthians 11. Keep your finger there because we're going to come right back to it. But uh, look at verse number 1, and we're going to come back to verse number 1 here in a second and, and develop it a little more thoroughly. But look at verse number 1. The Bible says, Be ye followers of me. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. And again, he's speaking in authority because he's an authority figure. He says, Be ye followers of me. Notice what he says. Even as I also am of Christ. And here's what you need to understand. The Bible commands us that we are to follow our God-given authority but there is a limit to that authority. You say, what is the limit to that authority? We are to follow, you know, men. We are to follow human beings that God has placed in our authority. That's why he said, be ye followers of me. He's telling the church in Corinth, be ye followers of me. And you know, the truth of the matter is that today there are a lot of people who think, you know, I don't need human authority. People think it's okay to go, you know, to some coffee shop and sit around a circle and read the Bible together and call that church, and they say, well, I don't need a pastor. Well, you know, Paul said, be followers of me, and God has ordained human authority. God has ordained, you know, in our lives leadership that we are to follow. So look, we should follow them, but there is a limit as to how how we follow them or where we follow them or how far we follow them, and that limit is that we follow them as they follow Christ. And what that means is that when they stop following Christ, then we stop following. We don't just blindly follow, you know, whatever the pastor says to do. He told me to drink this Kool-Aid, so I'm going to drink it. You know, you have to make sure that you are searching the Scriptures daily whether those things are so. You have to make sure that you are studying the Bible and understanding the Bible and doing what the Bible making sure that the person you're following is also following Christ. That, we can apply that to the church house, and we're going to uh, look at additional verses on that. But that even applies in, in marriage. Go, go back to Ephesians 5. Look at verse 22. Ephesians 5 and verse number 22. Notice the last, I'm sorry, verse 24. Notice the last part of the verse. So let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Look. Wives are to submit to their husbands, according to the Bible, in, in everything that they're asked to do. Everything that your husband's will is, your job, wife, and I know this is not popular today, and this is not accepted in our culture, in our society, but your job, if you want to be a scriptural, you know, godly wife, is to submit in everything. Not in everything you agree with. Not in everything that you think is a good idea. Not in everything unless you know that he's making the wrong decision. That's not what it says. It says in everything. And if you, you say, well, I know better than my husband, or he's always making the wrong decisions, or he's never making the right... Look, you're the one that married him. No one forced you to marry them. No one forced you to decide on him. The Bible says that if you want to have a biblical marriage, you need to understand that the head of the woman is the man, and you are to submit in everything. Now... There is a limit to that. What is that limit? Well, you're there in Ephesians. Keep your finger there. But go to Colossians chapter number 3. Colossians chapter number 3. Because the Bible tells us that we are to compare spiritual things with spiritual. The Bible says that we are to compare Scripture uh, together. And as we study the Bible together, we can compare it and we can learn from it. What is the limit to in everything? Because you are to submit to your husband, ladies, in everything. But what is that limit? Remember what Paul said. He said, be followers of me, 
even as I also am of Christ. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 18 says this. Colossians 3.18 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Notice what it says here. As it is fit in the Lord. As it is fit in the Lord. So here's what you need to understand. You say, well, which one is it? Is it in everything? Like Ephesians 5.24 says, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Or is it as it is fit in the Lord? Which what that means is that you are to follow as long as it's within the parameters of what the Lord's will would be. Which one is it? Here's what you need to understand. It's both. You're supposed to submit to your husband's wives, Ephesians 5.24, in everything. Colossians 3.18, as it is fit in the Lord. What does that mean? That means that you do and you obey everything that he tells you to do as long as it's fit in the Lord. As long as it's something that doesn't go against the will of God. So look, when your husband comes home and says, you're no longer allowed to go to church, you don't have to follow that command. Because we're commanded to go to church. And at the end of the day, we follow God rather than men. If your husband wants you to lie, if your husband wants you to steal, if your husband wants you to do something that goes against the will of God, that is a command that you ladies do not have to follow because you are to obey in everything as it is fit in the Lord. Now, here's the thing. If it's not a sin, then you better obey. If you're, you know, couples fight about just the stupidest things. And it's like, well, my husband wants me to, you know, put away the dishes in a certain way, and I just don't want to. Just do it. Now, look, husbands, you know, you know, my husband wants me to fold. He was in the military, and he wants me to fold the bed in the military style and have the, the corner. Look, if that's what he's asking you to do, then do it. If, if that's what you're asking her to do, though, sir, you're stupid. But, you know, if, if that's what he's asking you to do, do it. Why? Because it's not a sin. So obey in everything as it is fit in the Lord. Obey in everything as it is fit in the Lord. Because there's two sides to this. You have wives who don't want to obey in everything. They want to obey as long as they agree. They want to obey as long as they think it's a good idea. They want to obey as long as they, you know, are on board. But here's what you need to understand, ladies, and here's what doesn't make sense about that, is that when you are asked to submit, you say, how can I know if I'm a submissive wife? There's only one way to know if you are a submissive wife. There's only one way. What is it? It's when you obey when you disagree. It's when you obey when you don't think it's a good idea. Because here's the thing. When you agree or you think it's a good idea or you think he's making the right choice, you're not submitting. He's doing what you want. So there's really only one way in this world for us to know whether you are a submissive wife. And that one way is this. When your husband makes a choice, when your husband makes a decision, when your husband decides he wants to do something, and you actually don't agree with it, at that moment, we find out, are you submissive? Because here's the thing. You can say, I'm submissive, I'm submissive, I'm godly. But every time you disagree with your husband, you throw a fit. That's not submission. Every time you don't think it's a good idea, you decide to over, you know, outrank him or you decide to call your mom or you decide to you know, leave town or whatever it is. That's not submission. We, all, we only find out if you're submissive one time when there's a disagreement. That's when we find out, is this woman a submissive woman? And if every time you disagree, you're fighting, then guess what? You're not submissive because you are to obey in everything, everything as it is fit in the Lord. Well, my, my, you know, my husband's boss called, and he stayed home to watch some game, but he wants me to tell the boss that he's sick. What should I do? It, as it is fit in the Lord, you shouldn't lie. We ought to obey God rather than men. If your husband's asking you to sin, then that's out of bounds. But anything other than that, then it is within bounds. This applies to marriage, but look, it even applies to children. You're there in Colossians, look at chapter 3, uh, look at verse 20. You're there in chapter 3, look at verse 20. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 20, notice what the Bible says. Children, obey your parents, notice what it says, in all things. Just like it said for the wives in Ephesians. Children, obey your parents in all things. Listen to me, kids, you are to obey your parents in all things. Everything your parents ask you to do, you are to do it. You are to, you know, respond this way. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. 
No, ma'am. No, sir. When you're asked a question, you know, be polite and be courteous. But you are to obey in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. But notice what he says in Ephesians chapter 6. Go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verse 1. In Colossians 3, he says, children, obey your parents in all things. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. That's the same idea as, as it is fit in the Lord. Look, as soon as mom or as soon as dad, and that's, it's not as often, but it happens, ask you to do something that's wrong, that's a sin, that's lying, that's not right, then guess what, kids? You don't have to obey that. But if it's, if it's right, if it's not a sin, then you are to obey in all things. You know? And of course, you know, a six-year-old shouldn't probably be making those calls. But you know, I, I know of teenagers, you know, and I've known of teenagers that have parents that are asking them to do things that are not right and unrighteous and things that they shouldn't be doing. And you know what? You don't have to obey that. Because the authority structure that we're given is that we always have a higher authority, and the higher authority is God. The higher authority is the Word of God, and we ought to obey God rather than men. So as long as your authority is asking you to do things that falls within you know, godliness and righteousness, it's not a sin, then you are to obey in all things. But if they're asking you to sin, then we ought to obey God rather than men. Go to Hebrews chapter number 13. Hebrews chapter number 13, towards the end of the New Testament, you've got Hebrews, James, 1st, 2nd Peter, Hebrews chapter number 13. Same thing with church. Hebrews chapter 13. And this doesn't get taught a lot today. In fact, I think it's, it's primarily just independent Baptist churches that teach this. But the Bible teaches that churches are to be run by pastors. Churches are to be pastor-led churches. Today, you've got a lot of churches that have unscriptural methods and systems for, you know, leadership. They have elder-led, you've got elder-led churches where there's a board of elders and the pastor basically works for the elders, or you've got deacon-led churches where there's a board of deacons and the pastor basically has to submit himself, or just, you know, the sad thing is just the average church in America today is just a woman-led ministry. Or you've just got a bunch of angry woman, women that don't know how to submit, and they just throw fits and get mad and get all upset. Look, at Verity Baptist Church, I've, just, I've had to learn this in, in ministry. Whenever I'm training like young pastors or talking to guys that want to go to ministry, I always tell them, like, look, you just have to get used to this, and you just have to be comfortable with this. At Verity Baptist Church, there is always some woman who's mad at me about something. There's one, of you, somebody, one of you is mad at me right now. Yeah, well, Pastor, you shouldn't say that. You're calling me out. There's always a woman mad at me about something. You know, because unfortunately, because a lot of men aren't leading in their homes and a lot of dads aren't leading in in their homes. And the first time they actually find a male that takes leadership, it's at Verity Baptist Church. You know, and I've got to fight that battle and I've got to do what their husbands failed to do or what their father failed to do. But look, the Bible teaches that churches are to be run by pastors Churches are to be run by men. Are you there in Hebrews 13? Look at verse 7. Notice what the Bible says. Remember them which have the rule over you. See that word rule? That means they make the rules. That means they're in charge. Remember them that have the rule over you. You say, well, who is that? Well, notice what he says. Who have spoken unto you the word of God. You know who that is? It's this guy. You know who's speaking unto you the word of God right now? Me. I'm the pastor. I'm the leader. He says, remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. What are you supposed to do with the man that has a rule over you, who has spoken unto you the word of God? Here's what you're supposed to do. Follow! That's why Paul said, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. Notice what he says in verse uh, Hebrews 13. Look at verse 17. Obey. And by the way, you know what it means to submit? You say, how do I know if I'm submitting? Here's, here's, here's the, the, the definition of submission. Obey. How do, how do you submit? By obeying. Verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you. And notice, submit yourselves. The Bible teaches that you're supposed to submit yourself to the authority of the pastor of the church. And look, whether it's this church or whatever church, you know, I, my goal is this. 
And we have like the most awesome church, I think, ever. I love our church. You guys, you know, there's churches that are bigger and there's churches that are whatever, but we've got such awesome people in our church and you guys are wonderful. But you know, my goal is that when people leave our church, I'm not talking about because they got backslidden, but maybe just because they moved or because they had to leave or whatever, you know, I hope they go to other churches and people just say like, man, you know, the greatest church members come from Verity Baptist Church. You know, because you've actually been taught how to be a good church member. And the Bible says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And you know what? If I die tomorrow and some new pastor takes over this church, you ought to obey him. You ought to submit yourself to him. If he wants it done a certain way, do it that way. If he doesn't want certain things done, don't do it. Don't bypass him. Don't, you know, just try to do it anywhere. Well, I'm going to get a bunch of people to try to do it. No, you know what? The Bible says that you are to obey those who are your authority, who are in the rule, who are speaking to you the word of God. But that has a limit. Go back to 1 Corinthians uh, 11. Because, you know, on the flip side of that, today you've got churches where they they teach this idea of pastoral leadership, which is true. They teach this uh, idea of pastoral leadership, which is definitely scriptural, but then people take it too far where churches literally have pastors that are, you know, criminals, that are, are, are doing illegal things, and the churches doesn't, you know, they just submit. Well, we're supposed to submit to the man of God. No, 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 no. You follow, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. When the man stops following Christ, you stop following the man. Because here's the thing, you're not actually following the man, you're following Christ. The man is just supposed to be an example that you follow, an example that you follow. And by the way, if you get that in your head, then you'll also one day survive pastoral, leader, uh, pastoral you know, failures. And hopefully that's not the case, and hopefully that never happens at Verity Baptist Church. But if you ever go to some church where the pastor fails, where the pastor sins, where the pastor gets removed, you know, unfortunately, when pastors fail the ministry and get kicked out of ministry, a lot of times church people quit the church as a result. And I always ask myself, well, who were you following to begin with? Because you know who didn't fail was Jesus. You know, maybe man will fail us, but Christ will never fail us. Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. That applies in marriage. That applies in parenting. That applies in ministry. You are to submit yourself as long as you're not being asked. You say, well, I think it's the wrong idea. I think it's the bad idea. I don't agree. It doesn't matter. You're supposed to submit yourself to the authority unless it's sin, unless it's not fit in the Lord, unless it's something that goes against what the Word of God says, unless they are actually not following Christ. But if it's not a sin, just do what he said to do. If it's not a sin, kids, just do what they told you to do. Go back to 1 Corinthians 11 if, if you're not there. Look at verse 3. But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ. Now, we've already developed these verses and talked about there's a leadership structure here. The head of every man is Christ, referring to the church structure. Jesus is the head of the church. Men are to lead within the church. The head of the, uh, of the woman is the man. That's talking about the family structure. And the head of Christ is God. That's talking about the Godhead. Let me just touch on this, though. Because when men like I get up and preach sermons like these, oftentimes a lot of stupid guys get the wrong idea. And let me explain to you what this passage does not teach. This passage does not teach that every female is under the authority of every male. And, and you know, there's, I've actually heard accounts of, of people within our movement, it's usually it's single guys, who get this idea that like, oh, well, all women are supposed to submit to all men, so all these women are supposed to submit to me. And unfortunately, we had a, an idiot in our church, I found out after you know, we kicked him out, who had the same idea and was mistreating women and talking to them rudely and stuff, because they get this idea that, like, well, I'm a man, so every woman is supposed to submit to me. That's not what it says. Notice what it says, verse 3. But I would have you to know that the head of, notice this word, every man. You see that word, every? God purposely put the word there, every. You know why? Because it applies to every man. Every man, single, married, no matter who it is, every man is subject to Christ. But then he says this, the head of, notice what he leaves out, the woman. 
Notice how he doesn't say every woman. You know why he doesn't say every woman? Because not every woman is in submission to a man. Now look, if you're a woman and you're living at home under the authority of your father, then you submit yourself to your father. If you're married, then you submit yourself to the authority of your husband. But if you're just a single lady, and Paul already dealt with this earlier in this book, or you're a widowed lady, you don't have to be in submission to just some idiot 20-year-old that shows up to church and thinks, why? Every woman is supposed to be in submission to me. And I've literally heard stories where these single guys walk into churches and they try to boss the, the, the pastor's wife around. Well, you're supposed to submit. I've told my wife, if any guy ever walks up to you and tries to boss you around, you have my permission to slap him in the face. <laughs> because not every woman is subject to every man. The head of every man is Christ, but not the head of every woman is the man. It says the head of the woman is the man because the Bible does not teach that every woman is to submit to every man. Go to back to Ephesians 5. Did you keep your place there? Ephesians 5.22. Let me prove it to you even further from the Bible. Say, why are you doing this? Because people need to understand, you know, we need to just do what the Bible says. God's word is perfect, but sometimes we take it to these extremes that are just ridiculous. Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit yourselves unto every husband. Is that what it says? No, it says unto your own husband. Do you see that? As unto the Lord. Look at verse 24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their, notice, own husband and everything. Now look, we believe the King James Bible is perfect. We believe it's preserved. We believe every word is in there for a reason. There's no accidentals, incidentals. There's nothing uh, in there that's just for fluff. God specifically, over and over, said, own husband, own husband. Why? Because he wants women to submit to their own husbands. He left the word every out of 1 Corinthians 11 for the woman. Why? Because it doesn't apply to every woman. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 18. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. So look, women are not just in subjection. Every woman is in subjection to every man. And I don't know that we have that problem in our church. I don't think we do. But if you've got that idea, guy, get that out of your head right now. And don't go around trying to boss my wife around. Because she's supposed to submit to herself to one guy, and it's this guy. And every woman in this room that's married is supposed to submit herself to one man, and that's her husband. Of course, within the church setting, you know, uh, you know, you submit yourself to the authority of the pastor, but, you know, I don't walk around and tell your wives what to do. You know, and you shouldn't walk around and tell, you know, other women what to do. They're not in submission to you. The passage does not teach that every female is under the authority of every male. Go back to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. Look at verse 3 again. Let me give you one more thing. The passage does not teach. Let me give you just one more thing the passage does not teach. The passage does not teach that because males are in authority, women are inferior to males. The passage does not teach that authority equals inferiority. The passage does not teach that authority, because you know what we get accused of when we preach sermons like this? Oh, you're just a male chauvinist. You just think you're better than women. You just think that women are inferior. You know, but here's the thing. This passage does not teach that authority equals inferiority. You say, how do you get that? Well, look at verse 3. But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ. Remember, he gives us three examples. The head of every man is Christ. That's the church world. Because men are to lead. Women are to keep silence. They're not to usurp authority in the church. So the men are to lead in the church. And the, the, the men aren't just in charge. Their head is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man. That's the home life. Whether it's your father or whether it's your husband, women that are under those authority structures are to submit to their authority. But then he gives us this one. And the head of Christ is God. Within the Godhead, do you know that Jesus had to submit himself to the authority of the Father? Now let me ask you something, ladies, because ladies are the ones that usually struggle with this. Oh, I don't want to have to submit, because if I submit, that's admitting that I'm inferior. Well, here's a question I have for you. Did, did, was Jesus, the, was the Son inferior to the Father? I mean, don't we believe in the Trinity? 
that there's the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, these three are one? I mean, was, was Jesus any less God than the Father? Was Jesus inferior to the Father? No, you know what? Jesus was every bit God as the Father. We don't, we, we don't believe in partialism, right? We believe that every member of the Godhead is all God and all of God, but yet Jesus, who was as much God as any other member of the Godhead, he chose to submit himself to the authority of the Father. And you wives, when you choose to submit, when you choose to submit, you're not acknowledging inferiority. In fact, if anything, you're acknowledging just the discipline to be able to come under the authority of somebody else. Let's run some verses. Go to John chapter number 6. John chapter number 6. Look at verse 38. John 6, 38. John 6, 38. And, and, and you ladies, I need you to really listen up right now. Because you need to understand something. And I'm not trying to pick on you and I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. But if your family's messed up, if your family's messed up, your marriage family, your relationship, it's probably your fault. And, and, and I'm not taking away from the men. Men need to step up and lead. But listen to me very carefully. Whenever you look at a family, whenever you look at a family or any family, whether it's my family or any other pastor in this movement or any man in this church, you know, when you look at a family and you think to yourself, man, that guy's a good husband. Man, that guy's a good father. Man, that guy runs a tight shift. Man, that guy, you know, he, he, he's really leading that family or he's really leading that church or he's really leading. Look, here's what you need to understand. The truth of the matter is, whenever you look at a man that's a good husband and a good father, you know who you really need to look at is a wife and realize that you've got a submissive woman there. Because that's the only way this thing works. Le- leadership is more about your followers. Success in leadership is more about your followers than it is about the leaders. You say, prove it. I'll give you an example. Moses. One of the godliest men in the Bible. Meekest man in the Bible. The Bible says that God spoke to Moses face to face like a man speaketh unto a friend. But yet, in his leadership role, he failed miserably. He did not accomplish what he was supposed to do. He did not bring the children of Israel into the promised land. Why? Because Moses was a bad leader? No, he just had a lot of lousy followers. In fact, they were so bad, God had to wait till they all died. Joshua, the Bible doesn't tell us the same thing about Joshua. He didn't speak with God face to face like a man speaking to a friend. He didn't have the same access to God. He didn't have the same relationship to God. Yet he went into the promised land, conquered the land, did wonderful things. Why? Because he had some great followers behind him. See, people look at pastors and they're like, oh man, you know, you guys are tearing it up. You must have the greatest pastor in the world. No, they probably just have some really good followers. And I'm not trying to minimize leadership. But you can have the greatest leader in the world. You can have a Moses, and if the followers aren't following, this ship ain't going anywhere. So you wives are really the key to the success of your husband. That's why God says that you are to be the help meet. He created you as the perfect helper to help him succeed. So why, when you look at your husband and say, he's a failure, look in the mirror and realize, I'm failing. Because my job is to help him succeed. And you can have the greatest leader in the world, and if they don't have good followers, it's not going to happen. And, and vice versa, you can have great followers and have a bad leader. We understand that. You need both. You need both. But look, this whole submission thing, it really only works when wives choose, not because they're inferior, but when they just choose to submit themselves like Christ, who was not inferior in any way to the Father, but he chose to submit himself. To the Father. John chapter 6, look at verse 38. John chapter 6, verse 38. If you head back, you're there in 1 Corinthians, you go past Romans, Acts, John. John 6, 38. And by the way, guys, that's why you better choose wisely. You, you want to know if, if, if she's going to be submissive? See how she treats her dad. See how she treats her mom. Oh, well, she rolls her eyes at her dad. Then you don't, if you marry her, just get, you get ready to getting a lot of eyes rolled at you. Be, well, she, she fights with her dad. Well, you know, you may, you may want to just go find some other wife. See how they are with their 
authority now, and that's how they'll be with their authority in the future. John 6.38, For I came down from heaven, this is Jesus speaking, not to do mine own will. Jesus said, I did not come to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Who's the one that sent him? Verse 39, And this is the Father's will which hath sent me. So here we see Jesus saying, I did not come to do mine own will, but I came to do the will of the Father. Go to John 8, 29. You're there in chapter 6, just a couple of chapters over. John 8, 29. John 8, 29. And he has sent me, and he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. Notice what Jesus said. For I do always those things that please him. Notice Jesus had no problem saying, I submit myself to my authority and I do always those things that please him. And ladies, there is no shame in saying, I do always those things that please my husband. Or children, there is no shame in saying, I do always those things that please my parents. Or employee, there's no shame in saying, I do always those things that please my boss. Why? Because if God has put God-given authority in your life, then there's nothing wrong with submitting. In fact, you are Christ-like when you submit to them. Not inferior. You're choosing to submit. Go to Philippians chapter 2. You're there in, uh, if you're there in 1 Corinthians, you're going to go past 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Just to prove to you that Jesus was not inferior to the Father. Philippians 2.5 says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And, and people try to act like, oh, it's got to be one or the other. He's either equal or he's unfair. No, he, look, he's under the authority of the Father because he chose to be under the authority of the Father, but that doesn't make him any less inferior to the Father. In fact, the Bible says that he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Go back to 1 Corinthians 11. While you turn there, John 5.18 says this, Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. So look, Jesus was equal to the Father. He was not inferior. But he chose, he chose to bring himself under the authority of the Father. And look, and men, your authority is Christ, Period. Your authority is God. You're not just, oh, I'm in charge, so I get to do... No, no, no. You have to submit yourself to God. You know, you have to submit yourself to your head, which is Christ, and then women that are under a relationship of authority should submit themselves to their head, which is their husband or their father. Go back to 1 Corinthians 11. So, I think, I think we've squeezed everything we can out of verses 1 through 3, Right? Man, we, we've really got everything we can. So let's move on to verses 4. We're, the rest of this sermon is going to go a lot faster, okay? The first thing we see in this passage is that there is a difference in authority. We saw that in verses 1 through 3. A difference in authority, specifically between males and females. But in verses 4 through 16, we see a distinction in the appearance. A distinction. So we first see a difference in the authority. Then we see a distinction in appearance. You say, what are you talking about? Well, look at verse 4. We're going to read it all in its context, and then we'll put it all together, and hopefully it'll make sense. Verse 4. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. Now, according to verses 1 through 3, who is the head of the man? It's Christ. So when a man has his head covered, who is he dishonoring? He is dishonoring Christ. So, according to verse 4, men should not have their heads covered. Look at verse 5. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered. So now we've got a woman whose head is uncovered. Dishonoreth her head. Who's her head? The man. So, according to verse 5, Women should not have their heads uncovered. All right? So verse 4, men should not have their heads covered. Verse 5, women should not have their head uncovered. Now, let, before we move on, let me say this. Many people believe and teach from this passage this idea of, of, of head coverings, and they believe that a head covering here is a reference to having a piece of cloth on your head. All right? We're like, men are not supposed to have a piece of cloth on their head, and women are supposed to have a piece of cloth on their head. All right? Now, here's the thing. You didn't get that from the passage. You, you may have got that from a commentary, 
You may have got that from some radio host or some TV preacher, but you didn't get that from the Word of God. Remember, we have to compare spiritual things with spiritual. We have to allow the Word of God to define itself. So here's all I'm asking. Before we decide what it means to have your head covered or uncovered, why don't we read the whole passage and see if God tells us what it means to have your head covered and uncovered. So let's not put a definition to covered heads or uncovered heads. But we know this thus far. According to verse 4, men should not have their heads covered, so men should have their heads uncovered. And according to verse 5, women should not have their heads uncovered, they should have their heads covered. Look at verse 5 again. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head, notice what it says, for that is even all one, as if. So now we're, we're, being, we're, we're given here an example. He says, when a woman has her head uncovered, it's as if she were shaven. Okay? So now we're getting a little bit of a hint as to what it means to have your head covered or uncovered. Because God says, women don't have your head uncovered, but if you're going to have your head uncovered, then it's as if, or it might as well be as though it is shaven. Look at verse 6. For if the woman be not covered, she's uncovered, let her also be shorn. What does the word shorn mean? The word shorn means to just cut off. Okay? So here's what he's saying. If a woman has her head uncovered or not covered, she might as well shave her head or shorn or just cut the hair on her head. Look at verse 6. Look at the last part of verse 6. But... Because women are like, well, I don't know about that. I don't think I want to shave my head or have my head shorn. So he says, but if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, he says, if it's embarrassing to you to have your head shorn or shaven, then let her be covered. All right? So he says, if a woman does not want to be shorn or shaven, then she needs to have her head uncovered. So here's the question, all right? Because we're allowing the Bible to tell us what it means to have your head covered or uncovered. We're not opening up a, a dictionary or a commentary or some sort of theological dictionary, all right? So here's the question I have. If the head covering is a reference to a piece of cloth on your head, what does that have to do with a woman having her head shaven or her hair cut? I mean, what, what does that have to do with anything? Look at verse 7. For a man, he goes on, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head. So he's just re-emphasizing. Man should not cover his head. For Why? For as much as he is the image and the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. Look at verse 18. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. That's simply a reference to creation. The first woman, Eve, came from the first man, Adam. He, God took the rib out of Adam and created woman. So it says here, For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Verse 9, Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Again, she was created to be his helpmeet. And that doesn't make her inferior. We were just created with different roles. We were created to do different things. And by the way, your creation, the purpose in which you were created will also, when you live within that purpose, it will determine the amount of joy and happiness that you have. Women were created to do certain things, to be wives and mothers and children. And listen to me, if you can't tell by, watch, by just looking at Hillary Clinton, I'll just tell you right now, she's a miserable woman. Say, so, oh, she's the most powerful man, woman in, in the world. Yeah, but you know what? She's not fulfilling her God-given role because God never put her in a position to lead. That's what the Bible says. I know that's not popular today. But you know, you say, well, how would she be happy if she just raised her children and stayed home and was a keeper at home? That's what the Bible says. That's what the Word of God says. And here we're told, neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman was created for the man. Again, that doesn't make you any less, uh, uh, you know, inferior to a man. Look at verse 10. For this cause... Now, verse 10 is an interesting verse. And I'm, I'm not going to tell you what it means because I don't know, all right? So if you came tonight just to find out what chapter 10 is or what, what verse 10 is, sometimes people listen to sermons online. 
I'm just going to listen to this entire sermon just to find out what he says verse 10 is. If that's what you're doing, you know, you're listening to this on YouTube, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I don't know. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head. There's a part I don't know because of the angels. I get asked a lot about this. What does that mean because of the angels? I don't know. People ask me, I don't know. I ask people, you know what response they get? I don't know. I don't think anybody knows what 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 10. But let me share a verse with you real quickly. Keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians 11. Go to Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy 29. you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 29. And look at verse number 29. Deuteronomy 29, 29. And let me say this. I have heard some explanations for that verse and what it means because of the angels, but they're all heresy. So they're just, you know, people try to say like, well, you know, back in Genesis chapter 6, the sons of God, which weren't really sons of God, they were angels, but it says sons of God, you know, married women, which it doesn't say they married women anyway, and it doesn't say they were angels, and Jesus specifically said that angels don't, aren't given in marriage, but, you know, forget all that, because I'm a dispensationalist and I can make up whatever I want, you know, the women got married to the angels, and they, you know, gave birth to all these titans and giants and Goliath or whatever, and, you know, that's what this is referring to, that's a bunch of hogwash. All right, that all of that is wrapped in lies. None of that is accurate. All of that is stupid, and uh, don't believe that. I know that it's not that. So how do you know that? Because it doesn't say angels. It says they were the sons of God, and the sons of God are the same thing throughout the entire Bible. It's believers. It's saints. All right, angels don't aren't given in marriage. Angels have spiritual bodies. It's, it makes a good sci-fi movie, but it's not Bible. Sorry to burst your bubble. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Notice what the Bible says. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. You know that there are some things the Bible tells us, and I'm not saying that 1 Corinthians eleven ten is one of them, because maybe one day we'll figure out what that means, what that verse is talking about. But the Bible says this, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. And here's what I know. There are some things that we're just not going to know. They're just, they belong to God. The secret things. You see that word things there? That means there are some things that are secret, that are not revealed, that we will never know. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. And by the way, let me say this. Anybody who's just telling you that they know everything about everything and listen to my dispensational theology because I've got an answer for everything, they're lying to you. Because according to Deuteronomy 29, 29, there are some secret things that belong unto the Lord our God. Notice what it says. But those things which are revealed belong unto us. And to our children forever. Why? That we may do all the words of this law. You know what this verse is teaching us? It's teaching you the things that you can't figure out. Don't worry too much about it because the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. And whatever is revealed unto us, whatever we can understand, make sure that you are applying that, that we may do all the words of this law. People want to get all wound up and like, you know, all the chapters of the Bible that nobody understands. Look, we're gonna, when we're done with 1 Corinthians 11, we're going to jump into a study of the book of Ezekiel. We're going to spend, you know, one, chap, one week, uh, one chapter every week studying through the book of Ezekiel. But I'm promising you right now, Deuteronomy 29, 29 is probably going to be a theme verse of our study in Ezekiel. Because there's a lot of things in that book that you don't know, I don't know, don't, nobody knows it. And people who do are probably lying to you. Or they've got some complicated chart that they can't back up with the Word of God. Because the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. And you know what? As leaders and as pastors, as, as, as men, we need to just be okay. I, you know, I had to learn as a pastor to just be okay. With, people ask me a question just saying, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sorry, Brother Stuckey. I can't explain to you the book of Zephaniah. All right? Why don't you just name him John? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I can explain to you John, but not Zephaniah, right? I mean, there's just, I'm just kidding. He's never said. The point that I'm making is we just, there's some things we don't understand. You know, I, I believe we're going to spend all of eternity in heaven, and the Lord Jesus Christ is going to open up his King James Bible up there. I just said that to offend some people. And just, you know, be like, here's something else you didn't catch. Here's something else you didn't see. Here's something else you, you never got. You know, I think we're going to spend all... This, this book is limitless. It's the Word of God. It's the mind of God. You really think we're just going to understand every little thing in it? Look, if I could understand everything in the Bible, I wouldn't believe in it. 
Because look, if, if this book came from God, then I expect that there's going to be some things we're just never going to understand. And look, the first thing I'm going to do when I get to heaven is praise the Lord, hallelujah, thank you for salvation. And then what about that thing in 1 Corinthians 11? You know, the whole thing about the angels. What was that about? That's, you know, that's, I'm curious. I don't know. Because of the angels, maybe I'll just ask an angel. Do you know what that means? Um, keep your place there in Deuteronomy 29. We're going to come right back to Deuteronomy, okay? Go back to 1 Corinthians 11. We're, we're almost done. Deuteronomy, I, I got to finish this, just, this chapter. Go back to 1 Corinthians 11. Keep your place in Deuteronomy. We're going to come back to it. 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 11, nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man. Here's what he's saying. Men need women. <laughs> I don't know if you know that. Women need men. Not that one's better. Look, we're all in need. Men going their own way. That's stupid. Okay, men need women. If you're alive tonight, it's because of a woman. It's because a woman gave you birth, all right? So neither is the man without the woman, because he said, you know, the man is not of the woman. Then he said the man was not created for the one. But then he says, but listen, guys, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. Verse 12, for as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman. So look, she, she came from man, but every other man came from her. That's what he's saying. For as the woman is of the man, Eve came from Adam, even so, in the same way, is the man, every other man, also by the woman. Because women are the one that bring life into this world. But all things of God. Verse 13. Judging yourselves. Is it comely? Alright, so, I know we got off on a rabbit's trail about the, the angels. But, let's get back to this, you know, head covering thing. We're letting the Bible tell us what it means. Verse 13. Judging yourselves. Is it comely? Now, you see the word comely there? The word comely means pleasant to look at or attractive. That's what the word means. Is it comely? Is it pleasant to look at or is it attractive that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Okay, so again, let's ask the question. If having your head cover is a reference to having a piece of cloth on your head, does that question make sense? Because he's saying... Is it attractive for a woman to pray unto God uncovered? And you know, you ladies, you know, you answer that question. Because I don't think there's a one of you, unless I'm missing someone, that has a head covering on. You know, here's the question I have. Could a woman be attractive or look nice, that's what comely means, without a piece of scarf on her head? I'm just asking because that's what he's telling us. Verse 14. Does not even, now we're going to get the response. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? What does that have to do with having a scarf on your head or having a cloth on your head? But let me say this. Guys, the Bible says here that you're supposed to have short hair. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. It is a shame for a man to have long hair. And, you know, I preach sermons like this and people want to say, well, how long is long and how short is short? Look, I don't know. He didn't give us like the military. You know, military tell, used to tell us like, you know, don't let the, your hair touch your ear. He doesn't say that. Here's what I know. If someone would look at you and say that's long, then it's long. You know, I don't think anybody would accuse me of having long hair. And I'm not saying you have to have it like me. I'm just saying, if, if, someone, if someone would say like, oh, you have long hair, if just some stranger, you walked up to them and said, do I have short hair or long hair? They said, no, it's kind of long. Then that's long. And that's a sin. And it's wrong. You know, I think it should be short enough to where no one's ever confused. Is, is that short enough? If you have to ask the question, is that short enough? You're asking the wrong question. And by the way, just any sin. Any, any standard in the Bible, if you have to ask, you know, well, the Bible says that I'm not supposed to wear, you know, a, 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 a skirt that reveals my thigh, you know, is this one long enough? If you've got to ask the question, is this long enough? You're already wrong. It's already the wrong question. You understand? Well, is this too tight? If you're asking that question, it's too tight. If you're asking the question, is it too short? It's too short. If you're asking the question, you think this makeup is too much? It's too much! You get out of the house looking like a clown, it's too much. I'm sorry. If, look, what I'm saying is if you're asking the question, guys, you, is my hair too, too long? Yeah, it's too long. If you've got to ask the question, it's too long. That's what I'm saying. Verse 15. But if a woman have long hair, it is glory to her. Notice the, re- the difference. But if a woman have long hair, so men are supposed to have short hair, women are to have long hair, and look, all throughout history, all throughout history, men have worn their hair short and women have worn their hair long. 
including and especially Jesus, all right? Jesus did not have long hair, all right? Jesus had short hair. I don't care what, you know, people draw about Jesus. You say, oh, well, they draw Jesus with long hair. All those guys drawing Jesus with long hair are a bunch of queers themselves. Jesus had short hair. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, how about this? Everyone's always had short hair through history. You know, the disciples all had short hair. Remember, we just learned about this as we've been studying the Easter story. Judas had to go and kiss Jesus as a sign to let them know who he was. Why did he have to do that? Because he looked like everyone else. You understand that? He could have just said, hey, the long-haired guy, get him. You see what I'm saying? You see the hippie? The hippie right there? Get him. Get that guy. He looked like everyone else. He had short hair. And look, if he had long hair, then he would have been a sinner because the Bible tells us it is a sin. Doth not nature itself teach you that it's a shame for a man to have long hair. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her. For her hair is given her for a covering. What's a covering? What's this little scarf you wear on your head? No, it's her hair. Her hair is given her for her covering. And look, once you realize that the hair is given for her for covering, then everything else makes sense. Where he talks about if she's not going to have her head covered, then it might as well be shaven or shorn. Or where he says that her head covering has to do with her being pleasant to look at or attractive. You know, it, has, it says that her head covering is her hair. It's not a piece of cloth. So what is the Bible teaching? And this is all, all of that to say this. Here's what the Bible is teaching. Men should have short hair. Women should have long hair. That's what the Bible says. You say, why? Why does the Bible teach that? Because the Bible is always trying to differentiate between a male and a female. And God has certain rules. And there's two specifically in the Word of God. And I know I'm going a little longer than I normally do, and I apologize, but I, just, I need to get all this in. There's two specific things in the Bible that God gave us to differentiate between a male and a female. What are those two things? Well, one of them is your hair. Men are to have short hair, women are to have long hair. But there's a second one, all right? Let's cover it real quickly. Go to Deuteronomy. You're already there. Go to Deuteronomy 22. Deuteronomy 22, look at verse 5. Deuteronomy 22, 5. The Bible says this, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. All right, let's break down this verse just real quickly. Let's start with the second statement. We'll start with the second statement because nobody argues about the second statement. It says this, Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. This is generally easy for everyone to understand. And at this point in our society, most people don't argue with you on this, but we're, we're starting to get there. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. Everyone in this room agrees that if some guy walked into this room you know, hairy chest, hairy legged, full beard, and just has on his wife's just nicest Sunday dress, high heels and lipstick. Okay, we would all throw, we would throw them out. We would, you know, swallow our barf and then throw them out, right? We'd like throw up in our mouths and then we'd throw them out, right? And then go wash our hands. That's what we would do because well, everybody agrees that, hey, a woman... Uh, a, a man should not put on a woman's garment. That, that battle is being fought right now. Now look, I promise you, I promise you, there is coming a day in the not too distant future when me saying that will be offensive at the average church because the average church will have men sitting in there with skirts. You say, ah, no, that's a little ridiculous. Okay, well, let's look at the first statement. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. It was the second statement. Look at the first statement. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. Now, according to this verse, there is something, there is a piece of clothing that pertains to a man that a woman should not wear. Now, here's the question I have for you. What, what is that? What is the article of clothing? Because according to Deuteronomy 22.5, the woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto men. There's something that men wear that according to God, it pertains to men and women shouldn't wear. What is it? Is it shoes? Is it sandals? I'm just saying through history, what is the piece of clothing that men have worn that women have not? Is it a wristwatch? Is it a hat? 
Is it a shirt? Okay, well, how about this? Is there a piece of clothing in the Bible that we're told specifically, it, the only times it comes up in Scripture, we're told that men wear it? Well, let me just, we're, we're running a little late, so let me just give you the references. You don't have to turn there. But let me just read them for you if you want to jot these down. Exodus 28, 42. And thou shalt make them linen breeches. The word breeches is our word breeches, which means uh, trousers or pants. Here God is telling, Exodus 28, 42, he's talking to the priest. He's saying, thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness. Leviticus 6.10 says, and the priest shall put on his linen garments and his linen breeches shall he put upon his flesh. Leviticus 16.4 says, he shall put on the holy linen coat and he shall have the linen breeches upon his head. Please understand this. The Bible teaches that all throughout history, men have worn pants. All throughout the Bible. And those are, there's more examples. I've just read you those three. There's more examples of men wearing pants. And in the Bible, you often hear about men who are getting ready to go to war or getting ready to go to work. It says that they girded their loins. What that means is because, you know, today, you know, all these Hollywood movies want to show us Jesus with long hair and he's wearing a dress. But there's no agenda there. You know, there's no transgender agenda there. But every time we see Jesus, he's got long hair and he's wearing a dress. Let me explain something to you. In the Bible, men wore pants. And it's true that men did wear coats that were long. But when they went to work or when they went to war, the Bible says that they girded their loins. And what that means is that they picked up those jackets or those coats that were long. They picked up that uh, material and they tucked it into their pants. Why would they do that into their belt? Why would they do that when they went to war? Why would they do that when they went to work? Because they didn't want all that material getting in the way. They wanted to be able to move quickly. Now look, if they picked up their dress and tucked it into their uh, skirt, into their their, uh, belt, they'd be exposing themselves if they were wearing dresses. Say, how could they do that? They were wearing pants underneath. Look, people, men have worn pants throughout history. And men have worn short hair throughout history. And look, go back and study American history. It is just recent, within recent history, that women have worn pants in our country or in any country. Throughout history, women wore skirts. And you say, oh, Pastor, that's, that's offensive. Do you get offended at the airport? Do you get offended at the restaurant? Do you get offended at virtually any building in this city, when you need to use the restroom and you walk up and there's two doors there and you're not sure which one you're supposed to go into and one has pants and one has a skirt and you're like, oh yeah, pants, men, skirts, women. Does that offend you? Say, why do they do that? Because throughout history, women wore skirts. And look, there was a time, there was a time where it was like offensive. Some woman walked in wearing pants and it's like, whoa, what is going on? But you know what? Preachers lost that battle, and they didn't fight that battle, and now it's the opposite. Now when I get up and preach that, people are like, man, you're like little Haas on the prairie. You're like, you know, you're totally just, you're, you're psychotic or something, you know, I mean, to say. But let me tell you something. The day's coming when I will get up or my, you know, whoever replaces me will get up and say, wait, men aren't to wear skirts. And people are going to be like, whoa, man. Yeah, that's crazy. Look, God... And we are reaping what we've sowed. When we, when our, as a society, when we made it normal for women to wear pants, we opened the door for the transgender mess we're in right now. And all, all these guys turning into women and women turning into guys and all this foolishness could have ended if men, if men of God just preached the word of God and taught Deuteronomy 22.5, the woman shall not wear that which pertains unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. What is it that God is teaching us in 1 Corinthians 11? There's basically two main themes. There's a difference in authority between males and females, and there's a distinction in the appearance of males and females. God wants males to wear pants and have short hair. God wants females to wear skirts and have long hair. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Word of God says. Now look, let me say this. That doesn't mean that when some guy walks in here on Sunday morning and he's got long hair that we just, you know give him evil looks and, you know, talk about him. Like, he, they don't know. The world doesn't know. 
They never went to a church that actually preached the Bible to them. Every church they ever went to had a 32-week series on grace, then a 32-week series on love, then they went back and covered grace again. You know, churches don't preach the Bible anymore. Or some woman walks in here wearing pants. She's not our enemy. We're not going to look down at her. Some of you women used to wear pants before you heard this preaching. You know, it's always crazy to me how women, you know, it's always the newer Christians or the toddler Christians. I can't believe she's wearing pants. It's like, man, six months ago you were wearing pants. I can't believe she goes to work. You, you just, you went to work like three months ago. Are you serious? You know, let's, uh, let's show grace. And let's show some maturity. And let's help women grow. And let's help men grow. But at the same time, we're not going to contradict the Word of God because that's what the Bible says. That's what the Word of God says. And what we talked about on Sunday night, my job is not to be popular. My job is just to preach the Word of God. Amen. And look, if you can disprove it to me from the Bible, I've got, I've got a verse right here. It says Jesus had long hair and he wore a dress. You show me that, and I'll correct it. But you're not going to find it because it's not in the Bible. Let's bow our heads and our word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for allowing us to study the Word together, Lord, and... I understand that not everything we preach around here is popular or in style or approved by the world, but Lord, it's the Word of God, and the Word of God does not change, and we ought not change either. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to stand firm on what the Bible says, but also help us to be graceful with people when they're new, when they don't know, when they've never heard it. It's not their fault. They were failed by their pastor who never taught them the Word of God. And Lord, help us to just stand firm on your word, but to have a graceful disposition to those who don't know, who are learning, who are growing. Help us to love them, Lord. Help us to be with them. In Jesus' name we 